Sustainable development is not an option, it is an imperative. Earth Odyssey is an international organization that aims to research, collect, and present solutions to inspire and empower the ones responsible for educating the children who will lead the world in the future. This is a podcast extracted from the webinar with panelists from around the world. Webinar 7, The Imperative for Youth, Be the Changemakers for a Sustainable World. Good evening. Welcome from Bali. I'm in Bali. Bali is known as the Island of the Gods. But I now discovered that Bali really is the island of humanity and the way the people live here. So welcome everyone. The, our seminar today is on the imperative to empower the youth. Two weeks ago, we had a seminar on inspiring the women. And now we are on empowering the youth. The youth of today, within 10 years, will be at the peak of their profession as decision makers. And it is in the lifespan of the youth alive today, which is 70, 80 years ahead, that we must absolutely make the transition to sustainability in every sense. So we have a very distinguished group of people here, especially the youth who are with her, because while they are youths, they are young, but they have had amazing experience in their life. And I will introduce each one of the youth at least, because the others we know. Our webinar will be seven minutes for each speaker. You will hear the sound of a glass clinging. The glass is empty, so don't worry. And uh, we will start. The first speaker is going to be Esh Achauri. I had the great honor to know late Professor Achauri, who was the chairman of the IPCC, the International Panel on Climate Change. And he's, during his tenure, the Nobel Prize was given to IPCC and Al Gore at the time. He was a very charismatic person. I had the opportunity to work with him at IASA and also in the IPCC Group on Agriculture. So Ash, you have, he used to tell me about his son, his little son, he used to call him. So I know that you are already a PhD and you are well on the way. So Ash, you have the floor. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much. Um, greetings, everyone. I'd like to start by conveying my deepest gratitude for this incredible opportunity to be together with you here during this important conversation. Thank you, Dr. Shah, all at Earth Odyssey, distinguished panelists and participants. Um, based on Dr. Shah's advice, I'd like to start by jumping straight into the question which has been posed to me, which is how does one mobilize and catalyze the potential of youth to take climate action and further the sustainable development agenda? 
at the pop or protect our planet movement, which Dr. Shah, uh, dad and I started together. Um, now is coming up to five years and we have a large global family. I'll talk to you about the family now. Uh, we use science and knowledge as the basis to inspire youth to take action and serve as climate leaders of today and tomorrow. In fact, our tagline is youth inspired by knowledge. Equipped with the science of climate change, youth tap, youth tap their potential and inspire change in their own lives, in their homes, in their communities, in their schools, their universities, their cities, their colleges, and then ultimately in the world. For example, our pop family, and I mentioned earlier family, yes, we do call ourselves family, and in fact, treat each other as such as well in Germany has not only adopted photovoltaic, solar and climate technology in its school, nearly eliminated its water footprint, reduced its paper usage by 80,000 sheets of paper a year, but has also now begun affecting change in its city by engaging citizens, its local government, and many more youth and civil society. Which takes me to my next point, which is that achieving change and doing so at scale requires us to carry everyone with us in the process. And therefore, an intergenerational, multi-sectoral and inclusive model is imperative. Considering the diversity in a country like India, this is only possible by large scale, culturally sensitive, participatory, and cascading approaches. And I'm gonna elaborate on that a little bit more. The only sustainable solution to sustainable development is adopting participatory approaches to communication, including through the use of culturally appropriate and relevant forms of communication, such as local and folk music, dance, theater, film, photography, and technology, such as, uh, you know, those that are local and relevant in a manner that communication is conducted so local solutions to local issues and challenges can be determined by the people and also be implemented by them using local tools, knowledge, and wisdom. Additionally, I'd like to say that youth-led communication, as all movements, must be bottom-up people-led and amplify voices, leading to strong advocacy while engaging local authorities, partners, and governments too. Therefore, youth must drive the accountability of local and ultimately global governments and leadership. This informed accountability should vote in and demand of governments actions such as sustainable production, green technologies, lower emissions, sustainable energy, and local ecosystem solutions, as well as lifestyle changes and consumption patterns by society at large, which includes all you know, communities and such. To illustrate the, the ripple effect that comes with the power of youth mobilization, I'd like to share an example from the pop movement. The pop movement conducted very recently its annual flagship event called the International Conference and Pop Festival from December 1 to 5, 2020. We call it festival because focusing on hope and the window of opportunity, though small, 
that lies before us is key. The event was 100% online for obvious reasons, but it reached everyone. And I mean everyone, including indigenous communities, talent in Africa, Latin America, Asia, the Middle East, North America, the Caribbean, and from coast to coast around the world. We had 12 workshops, 44 sessions, including... Um, we had 12 workshops, 44 sessions, including those with music and dance from the remotest corners of the world, such as in Africa and Latin America, 75 countries, 78 global leaders and heads of states and governments, 60 partners and over half a million youth. And we had people from Brisbane to Brazil leading workshops and sessions from artificial intelligence for sustainable development to the importance of mindful action and yoga to promote peace and sustainable development. Today, the pop movement is mentoring hundreds and mentoring is a really critical part of our work and what we believe is, is, is critical to mobilizing young people. And, and many of the young leaders we are working with on climate change and sustainability projects had the opportunity to showcase during the festival, but the issues that we work on really range are very wide in, in, in its uh, coverage. And these issues are, for example, institutionalizing education on climate or marine issues, for instance, in the school system in India, reduction of plastic pollution globally, waste management and recycling, the use of music and art to mobilize the minds hearts and souls of youth to take climate action. And this is only to name a few. Finally, I wanna say that the role of youth mobilization and youth collaboration with every generation lies at the heart of the solution. And with this, the solution must also be founded on local knowledge and leadership, participatory communication and voices that demand change of their governments and businesses and communities. After all, all the moments that change the course of history is when people have gotten up, gotten together, and collectively raised their voices and demanded change. In the words of the great Mahatma Gandhi, and I quote, a small body of determined spirits fired by the unquenchable faith in their mission can alter the course of history. Quotes closed. After all, Today, we have the largest young population historically ever to join forces to strengthen our resolve for a safe and sustainable future for generations to come. So mobilizing youths to protect our planet will not only rewrite history, but pave the way to a harmonious and sustainable future for humans and all species. And, and I wanna also highlight that if there is one thing that the pandemic has taught us, it is that human health and the health of all our species is inextricably linked. We cannot protect our planet while continuing with business as usual and stealing our future at the same time. I hope the new year will bring new resolve to protect our planet. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, Ash. Uh... You have covered the whole area and your, the things you set out are what the world needs and it will take us a few decades to achieve.
We need you to be a partner because we have a three-year time horizon to 2022. And these three years, we need to build the foundation from which we can walk the next seven, eight years. And within your lifetime, within your professional life, make it. I forgot to say something else uh, before I allow, give the floor to Ash. I would like all the people who are present with us in the webinar, at the end, you will have an opportunity. During the webinar, please think about one campaign on one issue, single issue within climate change or within sustainability. We would like to hear from you, each one of you, what is the campaign, a global campaign that is critical? What issue would you pick? And Ash has already highlighted this grassroots movement, and it has a cost to be integrated because all the parts are integrated. So thank you so much, Ash, and uh, we very much look forward to you being a part of the family. I now go to, thank you. I now go to Anna Hanhausen, something that Ash didn't mention is what Anna is partly going to cover, I hope. She's speaking on something that I'm sorry, Ash, you didn't talk about 80% of this world, the surface of this world, which is the oceans. Anna, that's right. Floor. Thank you so much. Yeah, um, and thank you for the invitation and the opportunity to be here with such amazing speakers. As Dr. Ash was mentioning, I'm also a part of the pop movement. I have been part of the family for over a year now, but I became a, a youth mentor just recently for the Pop Ocean Initiative. So I would like to start speaking a little bit more about the pop movement. So through the pop movement, what we do is that we empower the youth to become leaders for the crucial climate action and legislation that is needed at all, at all levels. Collaborating with people from across the globe and helping them connect with each other and share their experience and knowledge through both formal education and grassroots actions. We have had great response from the youth across the world as Dr. Ash was, talk Dr. Ash was talking about the festival and the amazing reach we had this year that it was virtual. And the events through the year have allowed us to make connections between youth leaders, indigenous communities, experts, dignitaries, researchers, and many more. This allows for a greater perspective on the issue the youth are trying to solve, on the different issues they're focusing on. Um, so my first involvement with the pop movement was last year when I presented some of the initiatives at my then university from where I have already graduated. Um, I participated in the pop festival and this truly skyrocketed our initiative because it made us realize what other people were doing as well. And this gave us many ideas of what to implement in our school. This also made us um, have a bigger reach. And actually, this year was the first year that Cambio, which is the organization, was not only a part of the university I was at, but was also externalized. And now it has people from all across the country. So that is very exciting. Cambio had the opportunity to present this year as well, as well at the festival. So it was, it was really exciting to see how we grew from one year to another, thanks to the pop movement. This year, I also had the chance to present the Color Book, which is an initiative I am co-founding, which aims to facilitate climate action 
through the suggestion of specific actions. And that has been really exciting because I have gotten all the support I could have possibly imagined and even more from the pop movement, um, from mentorship to connections to opportunities. And this has really helped us with the development of our project. And I would also like to mention that since March of 2020, um, during the Second World Sustainable Development Forum, which is a pop movement sister organization, the Pop Ocean Initiative was launched. Um, even though I was just talking about some of the projects I'm involved in re regarding climate action, my main focus is the ocean. I am also a part of Plastic Oceans Mexico. I am the pop um, honorary mentor for Pop Ocean. And just in general, I love the ocean and I love focusing on the protection of the ocean. So it's really exciting for me when in March of this year, Pop Ocean launched it, its initiative titled um, Pop Movement Launched Pop Ocean, and which focuses on mentoring youth to take leadership on ocean conservation projects. Throughout the months that have happened and the events that have happened from the launch to now, we have had the chance to mentor youth from all across the world through webinars, um, seminars, and also workshops. And I think a good indicator of the work we have done is that during the festival, 50% of the awards bestowed were given to ocean projects developed during the Pop Ocean Initiative. So I think that really shows how interested the youth are in ocean conservation and also how we have been able to help them push their projects, which is the main um, objective of the pop movement. Let the youth help the youth find their true potential and really make the connections they need to to have a good future and to push their initiatives forward. And something I would like to mention is that youth leadership is a crucial and current topic. Youth, we are not the, the future, we are the today. With the ability to set examples, not only for, past gener for future generations, but for past generations as well. Take for example, um, household education. It is very common for the youth or people my age to educate their parents about the environmental issues that are happening and involve them in the fight. So for example, here in my house, I was the only one um, who was aware of the plastic pollution issue. And through my conversations with my family, I, I was able to help them understand what was going on and why it was important to reduce our waste. I think in order to encourage youth leadership, intergenerational work is required. During the Second World Sustainable Development Forum, um, the former premier of South Australia, my grand, said a quote that really stayed with me. We always say, listen to the wisdom of our elders, but we should listen to the wisdom of our youth. I think this stayed with me mainly because it shows how in these changing times, we really need to let go of the ideals that someone might be too young or too inexperienced to do something. And we really need to listen to those whose future is most at risk. I think the key to finding effective solution and lasting solutions is inclusive, inclusion. The youth need to be included in conversation as key stakeholders of environmental issues because we are the ones who will suffer the most. Growing concerns for our future must be taken into account and we must be included in decisions not only at local, national and global government and politics, but also at boardrooms because as we know, um, the private sector has a really important um, they're really important decision makers as well. I think another important remark to make is about education because it is the base of the systemic change we need. 
in order to empower the youth, we really need to empower the quality of education across the globe, especially in marginalized communities, because with education come many opportunities. The lack of education leads to the lack of empowerment, and this hinders decision-making in the future. Take, for example, what happens in Mexico. The government offers the youth um, grants or money if they don't have a job. So this creates a lack of opportunities, and it makes the youth not vote for who will assure them a better future, but instead vote for those who will give them a bigger grant for not having a job. So the government, instead of focusing on creating opportunities, it just focuses on finding this money to give to the youth. I think education and knowledge lead to better founded campaigns and initiatives where leaders understand the issue at hand as well as the solutions that apply best. I think this goes really hand in hand with POP's tagline, which is um, uh, not empowering through knowledge. So I think it, it really is the base of creating change, knowing what, what's at stake and what is happening. I think equality is also key. And that's a whole nother topic, as you all know. It's it's really important um, that we have more empathy and understanding of what happens to everyone, because the lack of opportunity for some really hinder the progress of humanity as a whole. I think one of the oh okay, my time is up. I just wanted to mention that connections are key, and thank the pop movement for really creating these connections and focusing on the importance of giving them to the youth. Thank you very much. Uh... Anna, you started off talking and you brought in the indigenous people, etc. cetera. Uh, climate change, you also mentioned. The world of ocean, I don't know if you connected with Yuri because before Christopher Columbus, the Phoenicians made the trip across the Atlantic and uh, Yuri built a Phoenician ship, but he was different than all the others, even the Phoenicians and the Columbus, because he collected samples of the ocean every so often. So he has a record of all the plastic that's in the ocean. So you certainly should connect with Yuri, who is our co-founder of Earth Odyssey. You mentioned about climate change. You mentioned a, a book that you're preparing, which highlights color book that we can introduce with children and youth which brings us to the whole issue of climate change. The youth are marching for climate action. But imagine a whole group of people arrive at a minister's office and the minister says, what do you want me to do about climate change? Are we all going to stand up and say, keep it below two degrees? Or do we need issue specific? So when I read in CNN that a youth in Ghana had succeeded in shutting down a major coal power station being built by the Chinese, and they are building a lot of uh, coal power plants in Africa. It opened my eyes that here was a youth that picked an issue. And so one of the things that I'm working on at the moment to bring to the attention of the youth that let us speak specific issues to march on. And then you can have a reaction from the government and from the public, not en masse climate change, because that's a complex issue with 10, 20, 200 sources. And we need to identify the big ones. So that brings us to Chibeze. Chibeze Eskil, it's a great pleasure for me personally, because I was born and brought up in Kenya. 
and you really have opened my eyes in terms of what you started as a young man, the governance and good governance environmental NGO and how you handled this. And I know very well how difficult in West Africa as in East Africa things are to start and get through the bureaucracy. So really my heartfelt congratulations on what you have achieved. And I think you have set the tone because the next big movement is coming out of Africa. And that's a continent that a lot of people don't know. And I spent uh, 20 years of my life there being born there. And I cry sometimes of the beauty. And I want to go back as often as I can. So Chibese, you have the floor. Thank you very much, um, Dr. Shash, for this opportunity. And I want to say thank you to your, um, your, your team members at Earth Odyssey. And also to say hello to my fellow panelists and uh, a very good afternoon from Ghana to our cherished participants. Um, I, I think that um, Ash and Anna have basically set the tone uh, in terms of when it comes to youth development and the reason and the need for youth participation in the decision-making process. So what I will basically touch on in, in some is about some um, experiences or some knowledge that we, we used in our campaign. Uh, basically to also help um, inform or share our experience with other young people out there who may be running similar campaigns in their respective countries because it's all about learning and sharing our experiences. So yes, um, it, well, I mean, I wouldn't want to have very limited time, but I'll just try to uh, summarize the whole issue. Um, we, in 2000 and December 2015, the government of Ghana came out with a scoping report on the coal power plant. And then in in January 2016, um, there was a publication, uh, a scoping notice. If people have comments, people have issues, then they are expected to present their comment to the relevant state agency. So that, that actually ignited our campaign um, in terms of looking at the consequences of coal and uh, that it will bring to us. Particularly when our government has, you know, virtually signed the Paris Climate Agreement, you know, in Paris. So we're wondering why they should go the way of coal. So that actually informed our campaign. We asked, and it was basically young people who masterminded the campaign, who planned and did our own research, did our own investigation, did our own analysis. And then we, we mounted a very severe campaign. So one of the things we did was that um, here was a case that Ghana was then in a very severe power crisis. Companies were collapsing, people were losing their jobs, and the private sector basically need energy you know, to thrive. And of course, as a developing country, energy is needed for us to industrialize. So government thought that, okay, if there's more demand than they can supply, then the easiest way to go is to build a coal plant. And the argument is that coal is cheap, and number two, coal also promises employment. So that was one of the key reasons for government going the way of coal. And then we came out and said that, and said that no, we think that coal is not appropriate, and, and that there's a, yes, we don't agree disagree that we need energy, we need power, but we should not take certain decisions that will end up creating more difficulties and more problems for us. So for example, um, economically, it is cheap to use coal to generate energy. But again, our definition, our issue was, when we say coal is cheap, what do we mean by that coal is cheap? Because we are aware that coal leads to air pollution. So that is going to create an additional problem for our Ministry of Health, you know, must look for more money to treat, you know, air pollution, people suffering from air pollution and all that. So that is a cost element. So again, it's a creating problem for a different ministry. Again, we know that the, the, the waste 
from coal affects water bodies. So again, it's going to create problems for people who depend on water bodies, you know, for their cooking, for their bathing and other things. So again, we have to, you know, interrogate what they mean by cheap, that their coal is cheap. So basically, um, our campaign is uh, was that we a two-pronged approach, saying no to coal, but yes to renewable. Because it is very difficult to not give government an alternative. You can't say no to something without providing a better alternative. So our campaign was, okay, we think coal is not good, but renewable energy provides a better alternative. So that was our, our campaign. So we're not only against government's idea, but we're also proposing a better alternative. And we provided enough reasons why we think renewable energy is far better than coal. So I think that, uh, so within about five or six months uh, of intensive campaign, um, government headed to our call and then decided to shut down the plants to build a coal plant. But we didn't stop from there. We also had to prove that indeed young people have what it takes to bring climate solutions. So we're not only shouting renewable energy, renewable energy. Ever since government stopped the plant to build a coal plant, since 2016 to now, we again mounted a severe campaign to create more awareness on renewable energy because we believe that one, the public must be aware about renewable energy, the benefits of renewable energy to trigger demand. Once there's demand for renewable energy, it becomes an incentive for government and the private sector to invest into renewable energy. So that was our contribution, you know, to the call for renewable energy. So we're not sitting idle, but this is what was a campaign that was being fronted and led by young people. So again, it shows that young people have what it takes to contribute to the fight against climate change. Beyond that, one of the things we also did, in fact, it was just last year, um, 2019, that, okay, let us take it a step further. In Ghana, we have, um, in Kenya, you know, Dr. Shash, you mentioned that you've been in Kenya, you know, they, are, they call it counties, but in Ghana, we call it district assemblies, the local assemblies, that the government structure. So our development agenda is supposed to be, you know, bottom-up approach. The local agencies must trigger the development agenda at the local level. So as a youth group, one of the things we also did was that we selected five local government assemblies as a pilot study, primarily to help them mainstream or um, inculcate renewable energy into their respective medium-term development plan. Again, this was an approach that was led by young people. So we engaged government agencies that how can they adopt renewable energy into their plans? So in so doing, we are helping them to one, consciously include renewable energy into their plans, and then once they upscale it, it will also contribute to achieving our national agenda. So again, this is uh, an effort being led by young people. Again, um, the government of Ghana has won um, readiness funding from the Green Climate Fund uh, to develop our national adaptation plan uh, for the next two or three years. Um, again, we, we made a point to government that, okay, as a youth, we need a role to play. We want to influence policy. You know, we, we, and now we have some knowledge, we have some experience, so we must have a role to play. It is not enough to shout, you know, by the roadside and march on the street. We want to be at the decision-making table. So I'm happy to announce that the government has formed a five working group, cross-sectoral working group, and all the five sectoral working group have youth provision or youth representation. So once we kickstart the process this year, young people are going to participate in this in designing our national adaptation plan last but not the least the government of ghana is also in the process of revising our nationally determined contributions which is one of the you know the provisions in the paris climate agreement so and the government of ghana is hoping to do that by next year by the end of um, the first quarter of next year 
we are hoping to revise our nationally determined contributions. Again, as a youth group or youth youth led organization, we have also made inroads. We have written to the state agency, and we are, we are also being now involved in those processes. So what we are doing is that at any given level or at any given stage, we want to ensure that we have a role to play and that whatever decisions are being taken are not being taken on behalf of young people, but with young people, because the future belongs to young people. And therefore, we also have a stake you know, in whatever choices that are being made on behalf of young people. And then finally, um, to conclude on my, you know, one experience I had is that it is one thing to demand for space in the decision-making process as a youth group or youth-led organization. It's also a different thing to take initiative as young people to influence the decision-making process. So one of the things we did was we, on our own, started issuing policy briefs, positions paper, articles as a way to influence policies. So in that regard, it gives government hope that, okay, we have a youth group who are being proactive, who have certain experience, who have certain knowledge, so let's bring them to the table. So I think that even though we cry for youth participation, the youth themselves must also demonstrate that they have what it takes to be brought to the table. And when they do that, government has no reason but to bring them to the table. So I will pause here, and then you know, if there are any more questions, uh, in the interest of time, we'll take it from here. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Chibeze. Can I ask you a personal question? Which year did you graduate? In 2010. 2010. So in 10 years, yes. the way you're speaking is a total mastery of the issues that are on the ground. In 2017, IUCN and Greenpeace started a movement to phase out coal. That was four years ago, three years ago. In fact, it's four years when you count 17. Five countries, France, Germany, Canada. These countries have committed to phase out coal. The rest of the world where most of the coal is used is doing nothing. And I think the lesson from what you did and the way CNN reported, and I wrote an article on LinkedIn on you. I don't know if you've seen it, but we need to build on your campaign. And at Earth Odyssey, we have already briefly discussed this. We would like the youth to do a global campaign, climate action, phase out coal, climate action, phase out coal, and not wait till 2100, which is the target of all the others. We don't have 2100 on our horizon. It must be by why not do something for 2030 to phase out 30%? And by 2060, align with the Chinese, and maybe we go to zero carbon. So I think it is worth building on your campaign. I know you are into renewables. And remember, Africa has more sun than almost all other parts of the world. And now we have batteries, so you can store it and cook at night and study all night as you wish. So I think this campaign on coal, which accounts for 30% of all greenhouse gas emissions, is agriculture is only 9, 10%, 12%. So we need to handle coal as the first stop. And we've seen that petroleum diesel will be going out of the cars. So let's not miss this opportunity. And we would like to sit down with you and discuss the possibility that by 2022, which is the 30th anniversary of Rio. Can yeah. we not make this movement and take it on the road? So thank you, Chibaze. It's a great honor to have you. And you are the 
really, really appreciate we've uh, got Ukepeme with us, uh, the ambassador for peace, a uh, lawyer who has been with us. And the continent of Africa is big with its large number of nations. And Ghana was the first country to get independence. So it's a great honor to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Shas. I appreciate that. Yeah. The next speaker needs no introduction because I've watched her last six weeks. I go to the United Nations Conference uh, out of Geneva. And who is there? Kekeshan. I pick up a copy of the latest Forbes magazine. Who is there? Kekeshan. And we've been honored with Kekeshan the previous four weeks as she has participated in our webinars. This is the young voice like the three of you who have spoken. And you four as a team could be the guiding light, the guiding force of the movement of the youth to take us. And you come from different continents. You will come with so much knowledge. And forget about knowledge. You come with passion. The passion, the wisdom of the youth, as Anna said. And the wisdom of the youth is not the issue, Anna. I can apologize on behalf of all the adults of the world that the saddest thing we have done in the history of humankind, you are the first generation ever in the history of humankind on whose shoulders we, the adults of today, have put the responsibility to put our world on a sustainable pathway. If you fail, it's over. How can we put this responsibility on the first generation in the history of humankind? That's who you are. And it's all on your shoulders. But if the shoulders are as strong as the shoulders of the four people who spoke, I can smile because we are going to prevail. We are going to win. Kekeshan, you have the floor. Thank you very much, Dr. Shah, and hello everyone from freezing Toronto, Canada. As Dr. Shah said, my name is Kekesha. I'm a Forbes 30 under 30 United Nations human rights champion and founder president of Green Hill Foundation. And as always, it's lovely to be back here and to e-meet all of you. So the word empathy plays a very important role in my life. And I come from a family where empathy has always been a part of our daily lives. I've seen my parents go out early in the morning every weekend to distribute food, clothes to those in need. And I always accompanied them. And segregation of our waste, uh, composting them, recycling, upcycling were part of our daily lives. And I've seen my grandmother grow organic vegetables on her terrace. So I believed that protecting the planet, helping the community is part of our daily lives and that it's normal for everyone else. But at the age of seven, I saw the image of a dead bird with its belly full of plastic, which gave me sleepless nights because I knew that there was something extremely wrong with this picture. And I could not stop thinking about the agony the bird must have gone through before it died. And I knew that this was not normal and I had to do something about it. I was also around this time that I attended a lecture by environmentalist Robert Swan and his words 
the greatest threat to our planet is the belief that someone else will save it really resonated with me. And that was when I decided that I would start my sustainability journey. And it was also when I realized that what I thought of as normal, that's protecting the planet and helping others, was not normal for everyone else. So I decided to make this a part of everyone's lives. And hence, I planted my first tree on my eighth birthday, which is also World Environment Day, 5th June. And my mother always told me that God sends us to this world with a mission. And I knew that I was preordained to become an eco-warrior. So I worked tirelessly on the ground for about three years. When I was 11, the UN somehow caught hold of the work I was doing. And I spoke at my first UN conference. And when I was 12, I was the youngest uh, speaker and youngest to address the press conference at Rio Plus 20. And out of the 50,000 delegates, I uh, was a 12-year-old, one of the only five under-18s present there. And that was when I realized that there is a tremendous lack of inclusivity of children and youth in the sustainable development process, which uh, was when I came home and started Green Hope Foundation when I was 12. And today, Green Hope Foundation has an outreach to 25 countries with over 130,000 young people using education for sustainable development as a transformative tool through formal and non-formal methods of communication so that we are able to provide the skill sets to think and act for a sustainable world. And now with COVID-19, that's really changed the dynamics of our lives. We know of no event in our living memory that's impacted all of humanity in this manner from the islands of Fiji to Manhattan. And like with any other disaster, its impact has been severely disproportionate on those who were already vulnerable and marginalized. And amongst these foremost being children, girls, and young people from the global south, from indigenous communities and immigrants. And what makes this situation even more unnerving is that the is the absence of data, that coherent data. And uh, we've been working deeply with these vulnerable people for the last eight years. And because of this absence of data, the responses uh, can be really difficult to take. And working on the ground for so many years, Green Hope, we know their struggles and adversities from our grassroots interactions, where there are stories of inhuman misery and deprivation that we've encountered in Kutupalong, the world's largest refugee camp, or in no man's land along the Syria-Lebanon border that even today has hundreds of new refugees fleeing death and destruction in their homeland. And amongst them, a majority are children and youth, and their images do not make it to the mainstream media that's more interested in glorifying protesters and strikers on Second Avenue. And to cite a few more examples from our work, Green Hope has been working with young people in Liberia. And in Liberia itself, 65% of its population comprises of young people. The youth unemployment rate is 85%, and 48.34% of the total population live in rural areas. So in the villages of Liberia, where we're working firsthand, there is no electricity. So how do you expect these youth to study at night? And this accelerates their descent into drugs and crime because there is a limit beyond which you can study under street lamps or kerosene lamps. So the word empowerment has 
different connotations in different parts of the world and in the global south to empower the youth we need to give them food water clothing shelter safe spaces and access to education and only then will you have true empowerment in bangladesh we've seen the same problem we've seen firsthand young boys and girls whose feet are full of diseases because of the dirty water that they bathe in their teeth have been eaten away by the pollutants in the dirty water that they drink girls as young as 10 get married off and by the time they're 13 they are mothers and we've seen this in all of the vulnerable communities from the Syrian refugee camp to the Rohingya refugee camp to the villages of Bangladesh and Liberia and India and these are the examples i'm citing because i work there personally so again the question remains what does empowerment mean to them and what we also need to ensure is that we as young people support one another There are several international processes where children and younger youth are harassed tremendously by older youth and I myself have been a victim of this harassment. So if we want to see that at the table we have to be united in our mission. And you know recently I was invited to speak at a conference ironically organized by young people where the two categories of speakers world were uh, world class speakers and student speakers. So with this distinction this exacerbates the discrimination. So again we have to rethink our methods of empowerment. And now global extreme poverty is expected to rise in 2020 for the first time in over 20 years as the disruption of the pandemic compounds the forces of conflict and climate change which were already slowing poverty reduction progress. So now what can we do to regroup One thing's for certain, we cannot repeat the mistakes of the past, nor can we repeat the same mechanisms because if we are to achieve different results, we must do things differently. And we cannot just empower youth by talking about it. Enough of the tokenism, we have to stop categorizing young people as protesters and strikers. Young people need to become the decision makers. But again, even in the most benevolent of countries this will not change on its own and young people must have the knowledge and skills and this is only possible if we have obviously access to education and research shows that education especially those that are vocational and skills based provide that big push needed to help youth lift themselves out of extreme poverty in the long term and to facilitate this evidence based anti poverty interventions capable of scaling in and adapting to local contexts are crucial and again governments need to rapidly adjust education programs to the evolving needs of the most vulnerable during the pandemic and finally at the end of the day youth empowerment falls to us young people to bring about empowerment of young people we cannot adopt a general approach our challenges are different across the age band we cannot propose the same solution for children for teens for young adults the end goal might be common but the approach has to be different and the issues that are faced by girls and young women are unique as well if we don't address the issues of gender parity of stopping the violence against us removing the centuries old bias that prevent us from having the same freedom as men and boys 
then youth empowerment will continue to remain as elusive as the proverbial gold pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. So we're strong, people will not be playing one youth against the other, and only then can we be truly empowered and move forward. Thank you. Thank you, Kikeshan. If you hear her voice, imagine you couldn't see Kekeshan's face. You would wonder which is this professor. Kekeshan is not less than 20% of her lifespan. You can guess her age, I cannot ask her age, but she's less than 20% of her lifespan. At the age of seven, she understood that someone else will not solve the problem. She has to do it. On her eighth birthday, she plants a tree to celebrate her birthday. Can you imagine every year, every person celebrated life by planting a tree? We would have 7.9 billion trees annually planted in this world. And what a difference it could make. So Kekeshan, I, I have no words except to say that we need you. We need you part of this youth movement. And with you, again, we can sleep better because we know that with youth like you, all of you, we will succeed. So thank you so much. And now we have talked about climate change. We should be actually talking about climate change or climate goals 2030. So we come now to sustainability Sustainable Goals 2030, and Kekeshan is working at the local level to implement SDGs. So Helena, who is working very hard, wanting to celebrate Stockholm 2022, and with us Rio 22, because it will be 50 years since Stockholm and 30 years since Rio. So Helena, you have the floor. Are you there? Thank you very much. Uh, I'm here, but I don't think you can see me. But I hope that you can see my screen. Can you see my screen? I hope so. Yes, we can. Great, excellent. Thank yes. you. Well, the subject of today is empowering youth to secure a sustainable world. And as many of the former speakers have already mentioned, uh, supporting youth uh, to put pressure on, on today's leaders is also crucial uh, because we need to act now before it's too late. So we cannot wait until today's youth are adults, although we have seen already a lot of young persons now presenting that are acting really as adults, as adults should act. Um, one or uh, several important lessons from this year that is now coming to an end is that we are in several major crises. We are in a planetary emergency situation and we see one of the things that we're seeing apart from the pandemic and all that uh, and the climate change and biodiversity uh, crisis, we are also seeing youth, uh, youth leaders coming up and protesting and demanding action. 
this is not something new. We had it already uh, at the Rio conference in 1992, where Severn Suzuki was 12 years old, years old and one of the speakers. Uh, and now we have, for example, Greta Thunberg and all of you amazing and impressive speakers that are here today. Uh, and we have solutions today. Uh, so what we need is leadership and we need to include youth as leaders uh, because you're not only future generations leaders, you are leaders of today. Uh, and uh, something that we've also realized during this year, 2020, is that we are in this together and we can act together and we are all connected on only one planet Earth. Only one planet Earth was the subject of the Stockholm conference back in 1972, almost 50 years ago. And that's something that I realized uh, in 2014 uh, when I started the 2022 Initiative Foundation. Uh, and what we proposed in, in uh, a few years ago, uh, or last year actually, a year and a half ago, to the, Stockholm, to the Swedish government was that we should have a Stockholm plus 50 conference, but not only a conference in Stockholm, but conferences around the world that are connected digitally. Now, that would not only uh, decrease uh, the CO2 emissions from traveling uh, and uh, increase engagement, it would also be uh, pandemic proof. Uh, and uh, now, during 2020, we've seen that we can actually connect digitally on a global scale. Uh, and we're also preparing for something that we call sustainability games, uh, a competition or not competition, but a com games in best for the world where everyone would be a winner. And I would love to get in touch with all of you others to develop those games uh, during 2021. Uh, and um, as I mentioned in 1972, we had the first UN conference on sustainable development in Stockholm where I'm based. In 2022, it will be 50 years since that conference. Uh, and uh, there were a few things that were uh, important with that conference, apart from that it was the first UN conference on sustainability. It was also the first time that NGOs and civil society organizations were allowed to address member states in plenary sessions. And it was also, uh, the Stockholm conference was started uh, the 5th of June, and that is the reason why the Environmental Day, International Environment Day, is uh, 5th of June since then. And UN Environment Programme was formed. So, um, and since 2015, finally, we have a plan. We have the 2030 Agenda with the Sustainable Development Goals, and we have the Paris Agreement. So we know where we want to be in 2030 and beyond. Now, it will soon be less than 10 years to transform the future of humanity on planet Earth. And it's not that difficult for today's leaders to agree on these long-term goals. But what is difficult is to get action now with long-term goals. So uh, to reach the SDGs by 2030, we need to include milestones. And by 2022, it will not only be the 50-year anniversary since the Stockholm Conference, 30 years since the Rio Conference, and 50 years since the formation of UNEP. It will also be about halfway to 2030, since the Climate Agreement and the 2030 Agenda. 
And if all nations are supposed to reach the goals by 2030, countries like Sweden should reach the goals earlier. And why not in 2026 and help others to reach them later on? Uh, and one thing that we're uh, initiative that we're something that we're uh, campaigning for is to set milestones. Uh, because what we do during the coming two years is crucial for the future generation's survival on this planet. So we're campaigning, and that is something that youth could do also. Please uh, join us in campaigning for setting targets for 2022, when we should be halfway in the 2030 agenda. And uh, to a large extent, thanks to our efforts within the 2022 initiative, uh, last year, the Swedish government uh, proposed a UN conference in Stockholm in 2022. And one of the main focus areas will be youth, the leaders of tomorrow, and sometimes the leaders of today as well, because you need to be included and you are already. Uh, and another uh, focus area would be sustainable consumption and production and nature-based solutions. And uh, SDG number 12 is definitely connected to basically all the other SDGs. Uh, and this is something that came out in, 19, uh, in uh, 2019. And if we look at the first and the last one, education and digital uh, development are crucial to get the SDGs done. And we're using a compass uh, to understand and uh, simplify what the sustainable development goals are about. Instead of northeast, southwest, you have nature, education, economy, sustainable societies, and well-being. And uh, when you use this compass, it's easier to see what the SDGs are about. You can see that the ones that are related to nature are the basis for our survival. The ones that are related to education, economy, innovation, and lifestyle can be seen as tools for creating sustainable societies, the well-being of individuals, and for solving the damage uh, that we've done to nature. And then the partnership goal is crucial in, and uh, key in the middle. We're now developing tools for uh, a tool for navigation, engagement, and action. And prototype will be developed or launched in 2021. And there are other initiatives and campaign for concrete action and impact. One is stop ecocide, a law, and another one is a fossil fuel non-proliferation treaty, uh, similar to the one that we have on uh, uh, nuclear weapons. So, and you can join that treaty uh, online. Uh, and later on today, uh, I will be speaking in another event. Uh, so let's try to make 2021 a tw the year of 2021 dear, of wonder. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Elena. Uh, I would like, with the permission of my secretariat, uh, I feel compelled to make two or three points. One is, uh, please, please, Helena, put New Delhi on your list of countries, uh, cities that you put, because that's the main one that is missing. Absolutely. I will. Secondly, congratulations to Sweden for having held the first Stockholm Conference on Environment and Development back in 72. The children who were born in 72 were in the prime of their youth in 1992, when we had the Rio Earth Summit, the biggest summit, and there will never ever be another summit like that. You are going to celebrate the 50th anniversary we celebrated Rio plus five, Rio plus 10, Rio plus 15, Rio plus 20. 
Nobody is thinking about Rio plus Turkey. And that's the whole purpose of Earth Order 3. We must celebrate the 30th anniversary of Rio, which falls in the same year, 2022. It is time to move from unilateralism to multilateralism and think of why can we not celebrate this simultaneous event, giving the floor in Stockholm that what it deserves, giving the same floor in Rio. But much more important is, I think we should have the youth organize celebration of Stockholm and celebration of Rio around the world in all those cities. And this is a challenge to the youth, uh, a, form a little committee and do this. So my apologies, but I think it's very important that we should not have two, three celebrations doing the same thing when the subject is only one, sustainable development. And we should come together as a world to do this. So thank you very much, uh, Elena. And I look forward at least to work with you as we have discussed already on SDGs. And we are going to also talk to you more about the climate goals because some new ideas have come in. I now call upon Eugen. Eugen is a close friend. We have been working together on one point, seeing how complex is everything. And he has ideas on how this complexity can be reduced. And then when you hear the youth have we heard today, it's total clarity. But what Eugen's work is going to show you is how the linkages have to come in. Because always remember, it's not the goal you have in mind, but all the interlinkages that affect whatever you invest in that goal. And we must always incorporate the linkages, which is not always easy. Poverty, hunger, health, and food. These are all linked together. So you can have a poverty target, you can have a hunger a health target. But if you don't integrate and find the linkage, you do not succeed. So, Heiner, you have the floor. No. <laughs> not Heiner. Heiner and Jürgen are two close friends, and one is younger than the other, but I always make the same mistake. Eugen, you have the floor. Okay. Yes. Thank you very much, uh, Mahendra, for being here again and for being able to talk about these complexity matters. Um, a little bit of background for those who don't know me yet. I worked in an environment uh, which was highly complex. We identified root causes of tough problems and uh, solutions thereof. And then came the best practices and this culture was lost. I was one of the few who refused letting go of what worked well. And it turned out these old practices worked amazingly well when it came to highly complex challenges. And from that, I concentrated on identifying root causes nobody felt responsible for and solutions thereof. And that's led me to what I'm going to show you in a second. Okay, great. Yeah, extending on what Hel uh, Helena has uh, talked about now, uh, we have a tough deadline, nine years to go, and from an innovator's perspective, the obstacles are insurmountable. And there's a strong need to create obstacle-removing action now. Now, um, when we look into this, we need to understand the current situation. From 
the solution uh, perspective and especially from the innovation perspective, it looks like this. It's not just uh, climate, but there are downward spirals in many fields and there are countless complex dependencies between these fields. If you want to solve this, then we need to find ways to get to uh, get to the bottom of the root causes and get them solved. Now, uh, when we look around, there are fantastic initiatives underway, like the uh, Paris Climate Agreement, Fridays for Futures, Sustainable De Development Goals, and there are countless innovative solutions that exist today. However, between those two sides, there's this cloud of practices, cultures, and the very thinking we have adapted to that prevents us from getting these innovative solutions to where they need to be executed. In fact, I'm convinced there are uh, effective solutions available today for all these fields. And there are solutions to get rid of this cloud, but it's a very cloud that prevents us from getting this solved. So we can, if you want to achieve the 2030 deadline, we can no longer afford Initiative owners wasting their time and money on continuous firefight, continuous firefighting and insurmountable obstacles and highest impact solutions getting stuck. But there are complications. Many people in high places know that things need to be done differently, but they do not know what works in today's complex world. And People have learned to smell when something is wrong with new initiatives and withdraw themselves. But then here's a solution possibility. SDG initiatives and youth movements providing the guidance people in high places need. If we can do that, we can help them uh, to find what works well in today's world and speed up solutions. This can be done by asking the same key questions again and again and by pointing this by pointing to innovative solution examples of high impact where today's approaches have failed now how could this look like i see a couple of examples here's one on energy one of the big issues is uh is to uh, is uh how can we store energy now what the question I have seen being asked today is what are the highest impact solutions for sustainable energy? When we look around, well, there's actually an innovation that appears to have solved the uh, storage problem of energy and that at an acceptable cost. Now, the good news about this one, it's probably halfway through this cloud. And there are, many, there are more solutions like this around. Another solution comes from Corona. All of a sudden, we have seen phenomena being used, like the exponential growth phenomena, the tipping point phenomenon, where uh, medical equipment wasn't possible uh, to, get it, uh, to get to receive the next day. And you've heard about flattening curve practice of the capacity bottleneck phenomenon. But then in organizations, the same phenomena have occurred, the exponential growth has taken place and it was overlooked or neglected. And today this means 
but there is still plenty of opportunity available to make a huge difference for all the matters you see here at the right. Just imagine what happens when we can remove countless obstacles to energy type of solutions, to biodiversity type issues, uh, burnouts, you name it. The question we can answer is simple. Where is the integration of phenomenal knowledge into today's decision-making? Another one is this one. Where is the high-speed innovation track for out-of-the-box innovations of highest impact? It's easy to create. Actually, if you want to know how it could look like, in eight minutes, here's the explanation in this video uh, uh, proposing such a track. Another one is this. What are the highest impact root causes hiding behind the surface? And here's an example of a really big one. It's a single root cause and a single word to remove the unnecessary bureaucracy and complexity. With what I have shown you so far, uh, it, it, the question is not whether, but how, but how quick we can re reduce this cloud of procedures, obstacles uh, to the level you see here. Now, together, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to create an initiative acceleration seminar, a webinar. And if this got your attention, if you want to speed up your initiatives or if you want to help get the spreading the word so we can remove this cloud and get the, inno the innovations that are there today actually implemented and meet the 2030 deadlines, then I would like to invite you to join this webinar. Uh, you can uh, send an email or uh, you, can, uh, you can reserve a seat or receive availability innovation through the link shown here. And with that, I would like to give back uh, to Mahendra. Perhaps you have a few words to add. Thank you. Thank you very much, Eugen. I think it would be wonderful, Eugen, uh, with your permission, please talk to Yuri, and we would like to share these slides with uh, the participants today, uh, especially the youth. Uh, the science of complexity, Eugen, we, you and I have discussed, and we discussed uh, with the Earth Odyssey Secretariat, and we are happy to host this whole issue of complexity. And the title of that webinar, which I have not discussed with you, but the title would be wonderful to call it the science of complexity and the simplicity of solutions. <laughs> So, like let us make this a youth-driven seminar, uh, and uh, you can you have some training material, etc. So we invite, please take uh, this message to the youth out there, your networks, and we'd be great to hold a seminar which where we will probably move to another platform to have more than ten participants. But that's something we should uh, look forward to. We are waiting for Jörg maybe to show up, but I would like to take this opportunity to introduce someone you don't need any introduction to, because she's the one in the front line with us, writing all those emails to you. Yuge Peme. Hello, hello, hello. Can you hear me? Yes, 
you have the floor. Greetings. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Shah. Uh, my name is Ukbeme, and I am an ambassador for peace. Uh, let me begin with uh, excerpts from the song, The Youth of Today by Musical Youth. The youth of today has got lots to say. It's our life, it's our future, because we are living today. The youth are not only the leaders of tomorrow, but are the leaders of today. The voices and actions of youths are needed for a more peaceful, nonviolent, healthy world. I'll be speaking on the role of youths as leaders. And I hope to show that leadership transcends office holding. A leader, who is a leader? Okay, a leader is someone who, who, who shows, who has an uh, inclination to lead. And a leader is someone who, who shows, who, who guides, someone who guides, someone who leads the way. And he has the ability to lead. So youths are potential leaders. We have a plethora of youths who have who have held leadership positions, whether as um, office holders or just inherent leaders. And so every leader is a poten every youth is a potential leader. When we talk about advocacy, we, we think of representation, we think of participation. And so if you're not advocating in a representative capacity as a leader or as an office ho um, holder, you can participate because it's a, it's a, it's a, a linked process, a participation and representation. And so we don't have to have this tag of being a, a, a governor, of being a, a, a senator, of being a president before you consider yourself as a leader. I want to share an experience I had when I organized uh, the Peace uh, Agenda Summit. When I organized the summit, I did it successfully without waiting to receive uh, donations, waiting to receive grants. They are helpful. When grants come, they are helpful. When donations come, they can be helpful. But despite insufficient funds or no fund, you can make an impact. You can be a voice, you can be an action for positive change. And so being a positive change maker or a social problem solver, it can begin from your home. You can lead that change in your home, in your families. You can lead that change in your neighborhood, in your schools, at your workplaces, in your communities, in your country, and in the world. And so we don't need to, don't wait to be on someone's stage because your space can be your stage. And so you can operate from your stage, create your stage. As a leader, you can create your stage. Wherever you are, you can lead a cause. And that is what I was able to do uh, in uh, organizing uh, the summit, which was a success. I did not uh, wait to get uh, on any one stage. I did not wait to receive grants and, and, and donations, but I considered myself as a resource. And so fin finance is not the only resource. As a youth, you are a resource and you can make an impact. So I'll conclude by saying that you can make a change from your stage. So go on and lead the way. Go on and be a positive social changer, change maker. Thank you. Thank you so much, Shukepeme. You can see from her voice that she's a musician. And one of the highlights of Earth Odyssey 
that I don't know what the date is, but I'm sure it's before 2022, uh, Yuri and the UK we should be inviting all these young people and all these old people to our music event, which will be a world event like We Are The World. We are going to bring the peak of the peak together and you can rock and roll all night. But it will be for sustainability or climate change or ch change makers of tomorrow. And that's the event that we need to plan and we need to make it a global event just like the Stockholm celebration that every city will be part of that celebration with the local musicians. Uh, Heiner, before I give you the floor, we will wait, wait a moment for yours, but maybe this is the time for us, for all of you to say what is that one issue that you pick where we start a global campaign. Maybe I just enter that Jörg is waiting and if you, uh, Yuri would let him in and drop someone out like who is not there, like Helena, we can continue. You have the floor, Jörg, since you've been waiting so long. We give no, it, it is me. We give you immediately the floor. No, I think it was me first. Oh, yes. I'm sorry, age before beauty. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. So, um, thank you for ha having me there. And uh, so I, I, no, no, you are not sharing them. Go ahead, York. You have the floor. Yeah. So um, the reason why I'm here is. Um, Anyway, so now I, I'm I'm here, and I'm I'm here for a good reason. I I think I know many of you already. Reason you are talking, um, I, I I've read your papers and I've read um, what you're up to and dis discuss it with Heiner, uh, who I'm working with closely. So, what what I'm planning at the moment, um, I wanted to share with you. Um, and uh, a lot of that has to do with COP26, um, 11 months away from now, or even less than that. And um, COP26 is the fulfillment stage of um, Paris, the Paris Agreement, which means it's, it's a kind of um, backstop where you actually have to present as a government uh, this and this uh, have we done, have we achieved, have we um, planned um, to achieve the Paris goals five years later. And um, so this is quite an important um, place and time. Uh, it was postponed from this year to the, to the next year because of COVID. And for, for this reason, we have more time to actually develop more interesting concepts. And at the same time, we have learned that so much of the Paris Agreement is, um, has been pushed back, actually. It's not happening. The governments haven't picked it up. They have planned, uh, and not until 2030, which would be the appropriate time, but they have planned until 2050, which is completely inappropriate, uh, inappropriate to actually achieve these goals. So, Youth for Planet, that's what I've started to achieve these goals in 2015. Um, so we 
presented our first ideas at Paris, uh, <clears throat> is now planning uh, several important steps towards that. Now, rem um, reminding the governments um, that they have an obligation to fulfill. So, what, what we are planning now is uh, something that may may be uh, very well connected with what with what you are planning, uh, Mahendra. And yeah. um, one is a, a global film challenge that we want to set up for young people. And the global film challenge is something with a question. So this is something that needs to be de developed in the next um, two, three weeks. The, the question that we post and give to these young people around the planet. Uh, the idea is to do this in the cooperation with certain UN uh, activities. Um, we are planning to present the outcome at COP, but not only at COP. So as soon as we have um, created these films, uh, they will be uh, played anywhere, actually, in New York at the Climate Week, in uh, at COP and later at film festivals and so on and so on. So the idea is to create this as a global challenge and because uh, the, this global challenge is not enough, you cannot just say, please do something without telling people what to do, actually. So we are planning now a, a kind of webinar system, a setup of learning that empowers these people in all societies to actually um, learn about storytelling in a much better way. And we will engage filmmakers um, from each country as coaches, as peer teachers for these young people so that they can actually um, learn alongside their doing. And the, the, the idea is that they, we will be starting April, May with the challenge, announcing the challenge and with the webinars and seminars as well. So uh, by then uh, we will have put out the, the major research question, which is action orientated. So um, please look onto your, the fingers of your government. Will they actually um, fulfill their task? Will they follow their obligations or not? Um, <clears throat> and then we are starting the series of webinars that empower these people to actually do a better storytelling, do um, better journalistic uh, research alongside in, in order to achieve uh, this go together in, in, in teams. Um, we have an app ready by then that allows uh, to co-create films together in small teams um, across borders. So there's no limit really. And everything is brought together by ideas, by concepts and by, by mm, sort of challenges and questions. And, <clears throat> and the, the outcome uh, will then be as I said, presentable everywhere, not only at COP. And we want to play on multiple screens and multiple stages at COP. Uh, as I said, in cooperation with uh, UN, UNESCO, 
and and um, the Luxembourgish government, who is actually allowing us to set this up, they give us some of the money that we need. We are looking for more, of course. Uh, we need about a hundred thousand to to put up this challenger loan plus the seminars, mm, but this will somehow will uh, will place. So I, I'm not worried about that. Um, and part of the uh, film education is already tested, so we already know what to do online, and so we can really uh, know we. we we know what we are talking about and we can really get started as planned. That's the good news actually. And so um, when you um, set up something like this global concert idea, we can actually link that quite easily because music is uh, involved as well. Um, we have um, filmmakers that are musicians at the same time as co-teachers or peer teachers there so it this is ready to become something bigger by um, building nations across the planet actually and the this cross boundary idea is the main thing there any questions uh, no i just want to add it's a coincidence that you are here with us and what you just said because earlier on when we started the seminar, one of the questions is everyone is thinking, what is that one subject, one issue on which they want to do a global campaign? Mm -hmm. When you look at the four youth ambassadors we are, have with us, and we recognize that it, must, it should be linked to Paris, to COP, mm -hmm. in, in a way. We have somebody, Anna, doing oceans, plastic and ocean which mm -hmm. can be said to because we don't even have the knowledge of what the ocean climate linkage in reality is in the depth of the oceans. So that could be a, a subject that mm -hmm. the regulation and what will be the interaction there. We have uh, Chibeze from uh, Ghana who shut down the coal power plant in Ghana. He did yeah, I read about that. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. So there since 2017, when IUCN and uh, Greenpeace started the phasing out of coal, there are six countries, Sweden, Germany, UK, just these big, small countries. And they have a target of 2100. But the, the world has changed with this arrival of the EV cars and the new kind of storage systems. We don't need to wait till 2100. And mm -hmm. so something on phasing out climate uh, coal, coal power station. How can the youth start a campaign and and follow the footsteps of what Chibeza did? That's the second example. Third example is in the area of climate change, while we make big policies at the national level and so on, the real challenge is at the grassroots levels, what do we do? And the presentation of ASH was driven at the grassroots level, what the movement should be. Mm -hmm. And the greatest challenge for Kegeshan, who is doing, working on translating SDGs at the local level around the world, Liberia, Bangladesh, and all these places. 
So it's very, even Kekeshan brings that knowledge of she picks climate as one of the sustainable development goals. Mm -hmm. And so just in this today's seminar, by coincidence, we have four ambassadors who can link in the media. And the fifth ambassador is UK Peme, the musician, as we told you that we have to have these events. So mm -hmm. this small group, we have this. But of course, this group of youth we have with us are not going to look inside themselves. These are youths at this age have a network, a very big network, good contact with the government. And they are, I am convinced, I meet them except for Keke Shan and Anna. Well, Keke Shan, I have not met them, but what we heard today, I can speak for myself that I would have no second thoughts and making them the ambassadors to go out there and create the teams into the network of documentaries, which they can download also on our, our system and mm -hmm. on iPhones and begin to build up and then do the formal documentary that's necessary for the COP meeting. So please, the rest of you speak now, please. Uh, Mahendra, don't you think I just should give this overview? on how to involve the youth and not getting lost in the Absolutely. details. That's why I said speak up. Go okay. ahead. I speak you up now. Can you see my slides? Yes. yes. So you see, I worked with youth for 20 years around the expo. We created with positive networks with the youth of the world a youth leader magazine and what i want to present here is how to find orientation and embodiment because we have lost the youth they were working and they, they were struggling and they were so far ahead already and with them we started not only youth leader magazine but makers for humanity to really make it concrete and as we just mentioned involving all the disciplines, doing joint projects. So the youth are there, but we didn't really link them to the UN, to the uh, civil society, to the foundations. And when preparing this, I said, and this explains a little bit that I'm, I'm not an educator. I was just asked, with all the futurists of the world 27 years ago to look into how can we bring the issues together, not just local, regional and global and uh, across sectors, and how can we come to a joint orientation? And I called it, our view of life is too flat. So all these theses, all this preparations, all this is there. At that time, we didn't have color, so they printed it only in black and gray. But what we need, and that is my first thing, is please consider to do it intergenerational, but in a way like the youth did in Germany after the war, not have a monologuing teacher, but they select the teacher and the elder, and then they select another one. So they are having orientation years and orientation workshops 
to really identify the issues. And when preparing, I found that in, in the early um, Früh romantic. I mean, that's been the time of Humboldt and Hegel. There was Novalis. He was a poem who said, this academic knowledge alone is bullshit. We have to sing, we have to kiss, we have to include light and really put away all these figures and numbers. So I, I really wanted to show you, as we discussed it before, and we discussed Einstein. Einstein said in the last week of his death, he learned by play, uh, playing with his anchor pieces. Anchor pieces are uh, like Lego, but that you don't glue them together. You really develop the sensual extensional capacities to see the harmony, the balance, the stability, and really do something together. So Einstein, and that is my mission for you, was a model thinker, an imaginary model thinker. He was not a system scientist, but this is just one piece in a puzzle of systems, but the human capacity is to bring it together. And Einstein also said on his deathbed, that he learned all his creativity and visionary and embodied thinking through the uh, Bernsteinsche Volksbücher. These were futuristic storytelling things. So it was without limits. So they could create their unbound creativity. And my work, and this is what I'm offering here to the group, is to look with all the Steiner, Montessori, Frege into the freedom of education that we involve the old and the new and not leave the young people alone in the dark and uh, they have to fight for funds but really find structures by understanding the commons and our approach to the commons we spoke uh, last seminar on uh, the common sense but we need also the common frames of references and trying to put it all into words or into pictures is not enough. We have to bring the words and the pictures and the maps and the symbols, all this together. And that's why we worked on multimodal approaches to really bring extra senses in when, as we see since Rio and before, that the problem spaces are really exploding, that we have to come to shared solution spaces, what I call common frames of references, or Noel Brown called that. So all this, for the sake of time, I'm closing with this. And I invite you to um, come to me back later. And we should now go to the action items. Thank you. Thank you, Heiner. Uh, on a positive note, you know, the youth of today are still not conditioned into narrow thinking, and they are very much open to even bringing the rock and rollers on the, on, on the stage while they talk of climate change. So I, th I think we are in good company, Heiner, and the work you did 20 years ago is so relevant, and I'm sure that we will 
be happy to have a youth seminar on that particular subject and get their input on how they could take it to the grassroots level. Go can ahead, your Can I just add something? So building on what Heiner said, um, in Germany, we, uh, I'm part of a system, the so-called free day system, which is now trying to um, so invade the educational system. And the free day idea is that the young people themselves, the pupils themselves, develop their learning concepts in school, with, supported by teachers in a free space, one day a week at least. So then uh, they can develop films, for example. Uh, I, I work in a school, I advise a school that has decided to go this route for the entire school. Uh, all classes have these free spaces and they move towards a sustainability level uh, of the next um, step, really, uh, throughout the uh, school year now. And um, I, I, something that is a kind of educational revolution, if you think so, within the system, because it allows this change within the running system. You only need three or four hours a week, but, but still allow young people to think freely and think for themselves and develop then concepts like making films, doing research on what is really the hot topic for my life, and then de develop um, outcomes, solutions, so uh, solution spaces, like Heiner said. Um, so the, the idea is now uh, to use what, what is there and, and um, allow this to travel to other co uh, countries uh, as an uh, just as an idea it, it started with the fridays for future movement um but now it's the free day for future movement um in in education <laughs> and um uh, to liberate uh, the the thinking actually in in order to achieve something new and this is what we want to achieve uh, up to the cop to really make this something that is uh, allowed in other places as well, then allow for filmmaking, um, educate teachers to allow for filmmaking so that they learn how to um, to host this kind of thinking and uh, doing. And the, the outcome should be, and this is something that we should discuss later maybe, but the outcome should be that the in within these research processes, these film processes, they should find out where do we stand now? Where is my government? What is with regard to uh, the fossil fuels? What is the status of the fossil fuels in my society? What can I do? What will be the action point to actually uh, change that? Um, okay. uh, like Chibese did, yeah? Uh, make it concrete. How can we change that by describing the the factors, the, um, and then give give this information into the hand of other people who then can actually mm, take action. Uh, I think. Can I just say one thing? That what Jorg is telling us 
is that the power of the video, the visual images, as opposed to long list of words, is the most effective weapon we have. I give you one example. Over some 30 years, I attended all the food summits, the four World Food Summit. There was not a single summit, not one, or one major conference where the voice of the hungry was in the in the conference room, or the face of the hungry didn't was not there. How can you be talking about hunger when you don't can feel the emotion of hunger? So it is very important to use these visual images. And I think the idea of videos is really important to support the on-the-ground work. It's an easy communication without language, a tool that we can use. And certainly, it's something that we should all be looking at. Please. You, no, you see, because this is why I'm working with Jörg. When I say multimodal, it is not symbol, icon, and index. It is not image. It is not sound. It is not any kind of uh, sign system. Jörg was working on four films before I met him on music and groove, how to involve the rhythm. Life is based on rhythm, not just breathing mm -hmm. and, and the heart and everything. And so the integration of all that, that is what he is up to. And that makes it so solid that we go beyond the numbers and the fingers and, and uh, all these things in isolation to really reach the heart and the action of the people. You are so right, but UK Peme is whispering in my ear that we don't make videos. We make videos with rhythm and music. And I know. Them. That's okay. why it belongs all together. <laughs> Chibede, has he left? No, Take a I, shot. I, I, I'd like to give you the floor to respond, please. Chibeze. Yeah, You have the floor to respond to this idea. You have a free floor now. Please, go ahead. Okay, so, um, sorry, I got distracted by um, my family by Can I just quickly... Is that about what the youth can do? If I, I can get a question again, please. No, the question listening to York about this idea of uh, videos to be used as, a, as videos with, you know, real video, real films with music and rhythm and everything to be used to take your, for example, your message mm. of. Uh, phase out call. Can you imagine you go to the villages where they don't speak the language, they don't know, you show the show the images and you see the feelings and that's a, a visual thing is worth a thousand words as we say. Yes, yes. I mean, I, I perfectly agree with that. Um, in fact, even for us as young people, anytime we go to the villages, we use audiovisuals, you know, because the people must understand exactly what you mean. You know, um, so some of them are not on social media. They don't have uh, what they call it uh, smartphones, so they are still living in poverty. So what we do is that we go, we use audiovisuals, we have projection, show them pictures, show them videos, so they can appreciate 
exactly what you are trying to come with. So I totally agree uh, with that proposal. Thank you. Anna. Go ahead, Anna. Can you hear me now? Is this better if I hold my mic yeah. like this? Okay, yeah, I'll just hold it. <laughs> so I was saying that I completely agree with the proposal as it's a really interesting and impactful way to show the issues that are being faced across the world. I think it's also a better way to um, grow empathy as Kegeshan was talking about during her talk, right? Once you see what other people are going through, you understand why it's such a big problem. I think um, this would need to go hand in hand with a great distribution um, and facilities in order to get these films to reach everyone, even those in the most marginalized conditions, so that they can as well see the impact even if they don't have access to maybe the internet or a smartphone. Thank you. Ash? Yeah, I was going to say, I think it is, is one of the most powerful tools to um, to affect change. And um, I think it, it has uh, a lot of potential. One is because certainly a number of people are unable to um, to you know, be exposed to the kind of uh, information and communication that perhaps those in, in cities would be able to access uh, using cyber technology and internet technologies. But also very importantly, I think, uh, you know, visuals have the potential to, to communicate um, uh, uh, things that perhaps we would not be able to understand. And I think that, you know, the power of film is something that that could really affect uh, change at the grassroots levels in ways that perhaps no other communication can. And I wanna share an example. We have actually uh, conducted some work using tools, uh, films in particular, and found that you know it actually resulted in a snowball effect because what happened was several people started to use little very simple tech you know i mean nothing fancy not even a fancy cell phone but just enough to be able to capture visuals and what we found was that they started to then share these films using their own phones and then they started to come to come together in communities and amplify their voices and this is really how movements happen and i think that in my own experience i've seen how films have the ability to do that in, in, on, you know, in terms of grassroots movements and in terms of moving the minds and hearts and souls of people where perhaps uh, you know, we can get other technology out, but the moment they're able to see it, they're able to connect with it and where they're able to be participating in even creating that, that film uh, and, and visual, it has even more potential. So I just wanna say that I've seen that this has the ability to uh, to really create a, a tremendous ripple effect on the ground. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Ash. Yeah, can I also respond to some of the other points that were yeah. made? Yes, you have the floor. Great. Uh, yeah, I completely agree that uh, any uh, type of arts, whether it's visual, creative, or performing, are very important in ensuring that we are able to reach out to the farthest first. And that is exactly what Green Hope 
Foundation does through Education for Sustainable Development. And as a musician myself, I am very uh, cognizant of the fact that music and art and fashion play a very big role in uh, actually being able to break uh, through uh, the language barriers that exist and in particular with girls and women that we work with, the social strictures and actually be able to engage them and allow them to express their views without all of the social barriers that we usually put in place. So, uh, well, and we use all of these uh, creative modes of communication through education for sustainable development where, you know, striking and shouting slogans will not empower us, education with skills will. And Dr. Shah, you had asked us before to elaborate on uh, uh, one topic that, uh, you know, we uh, focus on, and I'd like to choose education for sustainable development in that uh, regard where through uh, this, we educate the children and youth that we work with about the challenges and then teach them to take those ground level activities. So currently in Bangladesh, we are working on sustainable agriculture in the rural areas, empowering the women and youth to create circular economies through organic seeds distribution and poultry distribution. And in Liberia, we are working with the local youth on renewable energy, where we are providing the villages with solar panels to enable the children to study at night so that they can further their education. And I know that Helena mentioned, uh, mentioned nuclear disarmament. So we also work extensively on disarmament education through ESD, trying to dispel the myth that nuclear disarmament is a topic for adults so that instead of investing in weapons of mass destruction, we invest in clean energy, not fossil fuels and nuclear energy, and that brings with it a whole slew of other problems. Uh, we invest in education, sustainable agriculture, and uh, gender parity. So yeah, I think, and I'm really so happy that we are now normalizing uh, the bringing in of the creative modes of communication to ensure that we're actually able to reach out to everyone, in particular, vulnerable and marginalized communities. Thank, thank you. The education for sustainability, you will find that every element, whether it's agriculture or this or that, they are interlinked. So your campaign on education for sustainability is a global campaign. Yes. Uh, just very quickly, add, you also mentioned that we work extensively on implementing the SDGs at the ground level. And that's exactly what we do to educate people about the interlinkages amongst all of these goals while at the same time realizing that it's so critical that we localize the SDGs so that we can take into account the unique challenges of regions and communities all across the world. Thank you. Ash, you have your hand up. Yes, I, I did want to say that I totally I totally agree with you, uh, Kakashan. And, you know, I mean, we've seen this with uh, phenomenal use of, uh, there's actually a field called entertainment education. There's a formal field of education, uh, of a uh, field of study called entertainment education today. And in fact, uh, we've been using this extensively and we found that music and dance have a phenomenal potential, uh, as I mentioned, to really, to really move communities. And one of the most beautiful things about it is that it transcends all language barriers and the one thing we know is that it's a universal language it brings people together and it brings people together in 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 some of the most remote um remotest areas and we've seen this also with theater and i want to say that you know one of the things that we talked about earlier and i i want to highlight is participatory communication because when you start to use 
forms of communication like this that belong culturally to geographies, you get people uh, involved. And the moment you start to do that, you start to create a movement on the ground. And, and then you start to talk about issues that belong to the people and you start to talk about solutions that can be implemented. And really that's the only sustainable way to implement solutions. You cannot implement solutions where somebody is dependent upon somebody else coming in for X number of days in a year or once in a year, once in 10 years to, 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 to do something. So a real sustainable solution is getting people from the specific geographies taking action and using forms of creative communication and entertainment education are a key. So I just want to say thank you. I really appreciate this can discussion. Your, can you give us your two words on your global campaign? What global campaign, Ash? I, I, I'm sorry, your voice broke up. Can you say that again, please? Global campaign. We asked that earlier on. You will have a, yes. a one two words on a ours was education for sustainable development. What is your global campaign? Ours is very much the same. We focus on education. The, the emphasis is that we use the science of climate change and sustainable, you know, sustainable development to promote that, and we're very particular about that. But for us, it's education as the basis of what we do. All right. Everything All right. that we do is founded on education. Anna. It has to be a specific issue. Yes, um, I think the issue I would focus on, which is what the color book focuses on, is um, climate action at all levels, from personal to global levels, and including everyone in reducing their carbon footprint to become okay. a part Chibese. of the solution. Okay, so same in line with Anna. Uh, we also focus on climate action. In fact, let me say that in Ghana, we have begun a process to develop a youth strategy for climate action in Ghana. So the youth are going to determine how government and other stakeholders must involve youth in climate action. So that is our key focus moving forward. Thank you. Uh, Heiner, two words. I would call it cultivating the third eye. We need the exact and fine arts to come together. U UNESCO called it cultural expressions. And if we do it in all languages, with rhythm, with music, then we have more than just words and just English. We need the context. Let me, before I go the floor to someone else, my question was a global campaign on major issue which is doable that we are facing. You all talk of climate change and you all talk of education, which is all encompassing. You don't talk about the pandemic to which we are even not through. So the point is we need global campaign, not because we love it, but we want the world to respond to it. So when you talk phase out coal, that's a specific issue on which people have to respond. It's a global campaign that we don't want to wait till 2100. We need action by 2030 or 2050. Would be wonderful by 2030 to move from five to 50 countries. So please think again, we don't have to do it now, but write back to us and think of identifying 
not only talk of SDGs and climate change because it's only a decade away. We don't really have time. But for example, you could say the rights of nature. The United Nations is not even at the table of ecocide. We don't have a frame of what is the right of nature and we want to criminalize nature. So, and if you look at human rights, which were done 70 years ago, the world, and that was the aftermath of the Second World War. This is the 21st century. The world has totally changed. You have human divisiveness in the street. Black lives matter. How do we modify the human rights issue? We need to revisit after 70 years. It's not written in Bible that it can never be changed. And the same applies to universal rights of nature. Unless we have it, criminalizing nature means nothing. It's a legal document being drawn up just like the human rights was drawn up by a handful of countries under 10. It was six countries at the table. The United Nations can take great pride today that 192 nations have signed, but we were not at the table. We need to be at the table of the human rights for or the rights of nature. So that's an example. So you need to think deeply, and you cannot expect in a webinar, but please go over and think, what's a doable campaign? I love the campaign to say, phase out coal in not 2100, but we need action by 2030 as a contribution to the Paris Accord. And you don't have to make a concrete contribution because China announced 2060, but you can say our goal is to bring 50 countries from six countries. We have taken three years to come on board. So let's make a target of 50, 60 countries and we deliver it to COP, the next COP. That's as a part of the Paris Accord. So think of some concrete ideas. I think this needs a webinar on itself. To, to deeply think, but uh, this is just to plant the seed that go away and think about it. That how can you, and all of you are working on, the beauty is all of you are working on concrete things right on the floor. And every day you face the same thing. Uh, if you take deforestation, the answer to deforestation is what the, uh, the Nobel Prize winner in Kenya did, plant trees. Plant trees is an um, so why doesn't everyone plant a tree on their birthday? What, what's wrong with that, as an example? Or you take another example, there are so many sad people, elderly people are sad everywhere when they need happiness in their end of their life. They end up in home. Why not send the youth in urban areas to the, uh, the elderly homes on a Saturday afternoon and spend two hours holding the hand of an older person and speak about nothing and that person will come alive little thing but this campaign is necessary because the elderly have suffered so much in covid 19. they cannot be hugged by their grandchildren and that's what they live for that was their whole aim in life for the day they can sit on a chair and hug each grandchild nobody cares and that's not what they deserve. So we need to of little things we can do, but little things can become a big campaign worldwide and change a lot of the fundamentals 
of this modern lifestyle and the train we are on. Jorg, you tell us two words on a campaign. Not on the campaign you are doing, but beyond that, what would appeal to you as something that can be implemented? Um, well, yes, yes and no. What I'm working on is uh, to reach out to more than 100 countries this year to, um, to create local uh, action groups that actually report about their activities by making a film about it. And so uh, I, I, this is what I, I was trying to say. I invite you to participate in that and become the local or, um, or the topical host for some of these webinars. So that maybe plastic would be a very good, very good example. That's fossil fuels. Uh, maybe, um, uh, you know, the, the question of how do we get energy and what do we need it for and how, how is it supported like power, uh, coal plants, um, this phasing out coal plants. That's, that's a very concrete action. And I, I think um, whenever we, we have something um, on a global level with, with with a big question developed behind it, then we can attach local activities to that and make the local uh, important on the global level by having films about that. And Thank then we presented at COP, but as I said, at any other event as well. So you can take these films and, and use them for local action as well. Thank you. Thank you, Jörg. I, I, want to ask, uh, I want to ask Yuri. Yuri, this is exactly the core foundation of Earth Odyssey. It's written in our project document. Please say something about the mobile phone and our worldwide campaign. Yuri? Are you hearing me, Yuri? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our whole yes. idea to ask for iPhones mobile phones around the world to drop the videos to us and the whole idea to produce our documentary. This is the heart of what Earth Odyssey is about. Yuri, say a few yeah, words. Yes, thank you. Yeah, that's right. We, we start this project thinking about this. How can you communicate worldwide? And especially because now everybody has the technology. Literally, everybody has a, a cell phone or most of the bodies, even you know, poor countries, some places, the community has a cell phone they can use, they can share. So it's not so difficult for them today to make a small video, a short video and present to us. What we're trying to build is a platform where can people can send to us, we can uh, filter and then we can process and, and share the words, their messages. So it's going to be like local messages from these communities all over the world. Uh, share with the world and then people can help and give solutions uh, as an uh, example of what we're asking for what, what one, one, one project we, we can do we are here in the brazil and i'm close to the amazon i'm actually in sao paulo but working with in the amazon and we have a project we're going to start this year which is to build uh, sustainable hybrid boats that you can move you can uh, pedal you can use your energy human energy plus you can use solar energy our intent is to make a big expedition, make a, a great movie, but also to give this technology donated to the Indian and uh, Riverside tribes or communities so they can uh, be free themselves from the fossil fuel uh, that's so expensive and, uh, of course, pollutes so hard to get in some of those areas in, in the Amazon. 
So we intend to build this to break this technology that's already available, but it's expensive, into a kit that's cheap, easy to mount, and very accessible, and then teach the indigenous people and riverside people, poor communities, how they can improve their lives through using these hybrid boats. So that's a good example people can uh, relate to and, and really cooperate. Another yeah. thing I was going to, to say, just to summarize, we're over two hours, so I think it's time to wrap up. But uh, and a short story. Uh, Mahendra told everybody that we are divided between the young and the old here. I say we are the young and the young from another era. That's us. And when I was uh, 16 years old, I, I became a, a skydiver. I, be, I, I used to jump out of the you know, airplanes and try to open the parachute and safely reach the ground. And there was a, a, a kind of uh, funny story, it's not so funny, but like a dark uh, humor story about somebody who was found after you know having an accident. His parachute didn't open, he hit the, the ground and he died. But the thing is, when they, they got this guy, he was entangled in this, in this second parachute, in this emergency parachute. He's trying to you know put the second parachute and open. He was struggling all the way to the end until the second hit the floor. He was trying to save his life. So maybe there's a lesson there. We are the young from another area. We have to get together with the young of this area. And then together, we have to, to struggle. I have to really fight until the last second, trying to save the planet for us, for the humans. So we have to get together, experienced ones, plus the new ones with lots of energy and good thinking. And together, we can do something different. We can really save this planet for the human species and all the other species, especially. So yes. that's uh, my message for today. That's wonderful. And just to say, Jorg, we don't need to build a bridge with you. We are together in this and we are ready to work as partners. And thank you for your message. Yes, we will follow up with you and connect this. But the message that Yuri just gave us, so there is no differentiation between youth and us. We have gray hair and we look a little bit, we need a little bit more sleep and so on. But uh, a little knowledge we have, a little wider knowledge. So let's make a partnership. But you are the one on whose shoulder it is. You have the energy a little bit more than us. Not always, but sometimes. So please, let's work together. And our success, having spent 30, 40, 50 years in science and so on, our success, you know, the success of a professor, the greatest gift a professor can have is when his student or her student excels the professor. And that's very important for us, that when the, our youth excel and become better and we the, win that Nobel Prize, we say, he won the Nobel Prize because of me. I don't have to tell anyone, but I can tell my heart that question. So we are in it together. And this has been a wonderful, eye-opening, heart-opening, mind-opening, soul-opening seminar, webinar. And I can speak on behalf of our secretariat that thank you so much. And someone like Jorg traveling in a car, putting his family somewhere, uh, and then rushing to make this call. Thank you so much, Jorg. We really appreciate it. So it's been a wonderful seminar. Any last words from anyone? Only to wish every one of you 
not a new year, but a new decade ahead. And we, this is yeah. the decade of reckoning. We have 10 years to 2030. Let's do it. SDGs, climate, coal, everything we've talked about, but much more the ideas you will have over the next 10 days. 10 yeah. years. Let's do it together. Let's do it together. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Thank you everybody. Thank you, okay. everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Take a shot. Thank you. Third time, please tell the others how nice it is to be with them. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Join us at earthodyssey.org and sign our YouTube channel at youtube.com-earthodyssey.